Happy Sabbath, everyone. Uh, the song I'm going to sing today is called Trust His Heart. It's a song that I um, really enjoyed a long time ago, and I pulled it out today, or this week, and I was like, oh, I'll try this one. Um, but it just talks about um, God's ability to just kind of guide us through trials and things like that, too. That he doesn't make mistakes, even if we don't understand what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we don't see how they could Struggles that break our hearts into Sometimes blind us to the truth Our Father knows what's best for us his ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see him, remember you're never alone. Cause God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see His plan, when you can't trace His hand, trust His the future in his hands so don't live as though you have no hope all our hope is found in him we see the present clearly but he sees a God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see His plan, when you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. 
Then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Thank you, Gary, for reading the scripture for us this morning. And thank you, Emily, for that special music. Um, Pastor is going to be preaching part two of Sabbath rest. If you missed... Or Sabbath reset, I'm sorry. Rest. It was rest, okay. So the Sabbath rest. If you missed part one, it's in a series. We have it on our podcast, so it would be from two Sabbaths ago. Um, so you can look on the church website and see the podcast there. I would encourage you to do that if you missed it. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in the service thus far. Um, thank you for the special music, Emily. I have... I haven't heard that one for quite a long time, so thank you for singing that for us this week. Um, and thank you so much for the children's story. That was a God-breathed children's story that um, very much fits with our our sermon today. The title is uh, Sabbath Rest. Um, it is part two of a series, and uh, so... Uh, I don't think Emma's here, but she she doesn't normally. This we're, sometimes we add, add a letter uh, from time to time, but she does a wonderful job. So this is no uh, no big deal. Sabbath rest part two. Um, and so I'll go ahead and in part one uh, before I pray. Part one we uh, I was introducing the Sabbath day. I was introducing that you know from from the beginning in Genesis when God the Creator spoke this world and everything we know into existence, he set aside the seventh day as a day that was set aside, set apart, sanctified for a holy use. And I was establishing the baseline that this is something that we see throughout the body of scripture, that the seventh day is very much part of, you know, we see it in Genesis. We see God, this creator who speaks things into existence and whatever he says happens. So when he says the seventh day is sanctified, is set apart for a holy use, that's me, that means what it means, okay? Uh, we can't take anything away from that. 
So then he reiterates that in the commandments. And he hearkens back to creation. That's why I said the Bible begins with creation. Because God is establishing himself as, a, as the sole authority. Like, he's the creator. It, that's what gives him authority to say anything after that. What something is for, what it's not for. What's holy, what's unholy. What's moral behavior, what's immoral behavior. If, he's, if, if, if we had just crawled out of a, a pond of sludge, as we are told, and we just evolved over millions of years, and then some being just comes along and says, oh, you're doing that wrong, you should do this, you shouldn't do it. It's like, well, who are you? I got here all by myself. I don't need you in my life. But the, him being the creator is what gives him the authority to say anything after that. What's right, what's wrong. We were created in his image, okay? So we see the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, Creation, commandments, we see it in the life of Jesus. We see that he observed it. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in the New Testament church. We see it in Revelation, Revelation 14, hearkening back to the Sabbath commandment, but also that those that, that God's people at the end of time keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. They keep the commandments of God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And then we finally saw in Isaiah 66, that Sabbath is something we're going to be observing in the new heaven and the new earth throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. That seventh-day Sabbath isn't going anywhere, okay? I had to establish that because certain Christians or groups of Christians that, uh, as I'm introducing kind of this idea today, will say, well, this negates the Sabbath. And that's exactly why I started with the baseline, that Sabbath, the seventh day, when God speaks that thing is not going anywhere, okay? And so let's go ahead and we're going to pray and we're going to get into part two together and peeling back another layer of the Sabbath rest, what it means, what it's pointing us to. So let's pray together. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much again for this opportunity to be together as we're opening your word. Dear God, we're praying for your Holy Spirit to come and be with us, to guide us, to guide us into all truth as you promised that he would. And as we are discussing this topic today, as we're, as we're going through the, the various layers of what Sabbath is and what it means for us, I pray that you would just, Lord, impress these words upon our hearts and minds, that it would bring about, um, Lord, change in our lives for the good, that it would draw us closer to you in some way that we could reflect your image more fully. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sabbath was designed as a day to be a day of rest, to reflect on a relationship with our Creator. Um, as I said in my uh, introduction, you know, only the Creator can say what something is for, what it's not for, right? He spoke everything into existence. Um, and so today, you know, on the Sabbath day, we physically rest from our labors. Whatever our trade is, whatever our job, whatever our field of, of work is, we rest physically from our labor, right? And that's the design of it, so that we can be refreshed, we can be revitalized in our physical rest. And we're also saying it's a, it's a sign of trust between us and our creator that I don't have to work seven days a week. I, I, my God is going to take care of me. I don't have to depend on myself to just be working and working and working. 
you know what? God gave me this day as a day of rest. He's going to take care of me, whatever I'm, I feel like I'm missing out on by not working on this day. So I'm, it's a sign of trust between me and God, between you and God. Um, <clears throat> but the other aspect that we're going to touch on today is dealing with our resting in Christ, our rest in Jesus. Let's go there to um, Hebrews chapter 4. That's where we're going to be reading from today. We're going to read a couple of different texts. Uh, with topical sermons, sometimes you bounce around a little bit. And uh, the Sabbath is something I'm trying to show you from the body of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture. So Hebrews chapter 4. You may already be there from the Scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to begin actually in verse, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, starting. For he has spoken, and, and before I start, time out. In this part, God, the rest that Paul is alluding to, he's talking about the children of Israel and how they were wandering in the wilderness and they were trying to enter into God's rest. This reference here is referring to the promised land. And so we'll get some context as we go through this. But it's, it's bigger than that. The Sabbath is, is, a small, is, a, is, a, is pointing us to something bigger. Let's go ahead and read. Verse 4 and 5. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's Genesis. We read that together last time. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Okay. So here he is. He's talking about rest. He's talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about throughout three and four. He's talking about how Israel failed to enter God's rest because of their unbelief because of their disobedience. So Israel failed to enter his rest because of unbelief. Let's continue on, and I'll I'll, I'll read that for you. Let's go down to our scripture reading, verses 8 and 9. Actually, I'll probably read 8 through 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, so Joshua, he's the one who ended up leading them into the promised land, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased, also ceased, from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So he's... Throughout 3 and 4, he is talking about how Israel failed to enter God's rest because of their disobedience. They failed to enter in. So therefore, if they failed to enter God's rest because of disobedience, therefore the only way the opposite is true that we enter God's rest through what? Obedience, right? Thank you. So we enter God's rest through obedience obedience. Paul is highlighting throughout these two chapters, three and four, that Israel failed to enter God's rest because of disobedience. He mentioned rebellion. He He mentions unbelief, unbelief, disobedience, rebellion. 
<clears throat> and this is the rest of the promised land. So he's, he's comparing it. He's using the seventh day as a reference point, as God's rest, the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is showing us something. Disobedience is what hinders our rest in God. So as you all intelligently observed, that would mean obedience is the way into God's rest. Unbelief and disobedience kept them out. Paul gives us some clue, a clue here. He says in verse 9, 10, he says, For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his And throughout the body of this text, he's talking about disobedience, rebellion, unbelief is what kept them out. Paul gives us, this is something, it's it's throughout Scripture. Let's go to another place. So Paul, he's not highlighting what those works are that we're ceasing from. Obviously, we're ceasing from our our work labor on the seventh-day Sabbath, okay? But let's look at some works, some direct works that Paul is admonishing us to cease from so that we might be able to enter God's rest. Let's turn there in Galatians chapter 5. And if I could have a roving mic, that way somebody else might be able to read. Thank you so much, Rick. I I had meant to tell you that ahead of time. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is giving us a a compare and contrast. He's contrasting two things. The works of the flesh and the work of the Spirit in a person's life. Galatians chapter 5, the same author, the same author who's writing in Hebrews is the same author and he's fleshing it out in a slightly different way. Galatians chapter 5, if someone wouldn't mind reading for us, Uh, verses 19 through 21. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, if I could have a reader. Thank you, Alex. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as also I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, thank you so much. So those who practice these works will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works that Paul, that throughout the body of Scripture, God is asking his people, repent, turn away from these things. Paul is highlighting an exact, so so God gives us the commandments of what we should and shouldn't do, what is sinful behavior, what's not sinful behavior, Paul is saying the same thing in a different way. He's saying all these things are the works of the flesh. These are the things that you need to cease from. What, can somebody give me a definition of repentance quickly? 
What, when Jesus is saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When, Paul, when Peter is telling the, the Jewish re- rulers in Acts chapter 2, 3, somewhere in that ballpark, he's saying, repent. What does that mean? Yeah, turn away. Turn away from your sins. Jesus is saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul is saying, repent. Turn away from these things. Cease from these works. He says, we are, these are the works that Paul is admonishing us to cease from. He says, he who has entered into God's rest has himself ceased from his own works as God did from his. So the Bible over is admonishing us to cease from our carnal works, our carnal nature, and working the works of God. Okay, That's what the Bible over, God is, is commending us over and over again. Paul, the rest that Paul is speaking of is this resting in Christ. We are ceasing from our works and we are working the works of God. We are resting in him and he is living in us. Does anybody know what Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says? The same writer, the same book. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucifying the flesh, ceasing from our carnal works. He says, it's no longer me, it's Christ living in me. It's the Spirit of God living in me, and I am responding. We, just, we were just talking, uh, Rick was talking about how we went through Steps of Christ. One of my favorite quotes in that book is found in chapter 3, and she says this. She says, Christ, I've, met, I've quoted it many times from here, Christ is the source of every right impulse. So whatever good I have ever done in my life, whatever right thing that I have ever done, is because Christ prompted me to do so first, and I yielded to what his spirit was doing. Jesus wanted to tie the shoe of that woman the other day. That was his spirit working through Angela, and she responded. He was prompting her to do that, and she responded. She was reflecting his care, who he is. Jesus wanted to do that for her. Because he didn't want her to trip and fall. And she responded to what the Spirit of God was doing in that moment. That's what he asks us to do every single day. He's saying, just stay connected to me. Just stay, just surrender your life to me every day and I will work in you and through you. Cease from your own selfish works of your flesh and work the works, my works. Work the works of God. Respond to what my spirit is doing in you and I will do the transformational work. I love that she read Ezekiel 36, another favorite text of mine. The, the new covenant promise. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to do what I want you to do. But it's a transformation that we have to desire. And we have to recognize, oh, I am working. I find myself in this list. Lord, I need you to come into my heart and into my mind and change me so that I want to do the things that you want me to do. Later on, 
He goes down through in, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, but the fruit, he contrasts it with the fruit of the Spirit. Those who have ceased from their own works and they're working the works of God, that fruit in their life looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like, it looks like kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It looks like the Ten Commandments are not commandments. They are ten promises of what and who you will be when in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You won't lie. You won't steal. You won't cheat. You won't commit adultery. Because you're yielding to his spirit in you. And so if you are, you won't do those things. You have ceased from your works and you are working the works of God. Those, this list, the fruit of the spirit, the things that God asks us to do, they are divine attributes. We can't just try really hard and make it, make it happen in our lives. It will never work. They're divine We have to have the Spirit of the Almighty God in us to be able to do those things. That's why you find so many people so unhappy in church because they're like, no matter how hard I try, I can't do it. Yeah, you can't. You have to depend on Christ for that in your life. And you have to surrender your life to Him every single day if you want to experience the fruit of His Spirit in your life. You're never going to just by trying really hard. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is Christ living in us and through us, and we are merely surrendering to his will in any given situation. It is Christ living in us. We see the work, we see the mind of God for humanity in the, in the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? What were his works? He, he fed people. He met a felt need in their life. He fed them. He healed them. This, this is the heart of God. He raised people from the dead. Jesus gave us a mini picture of what his kingdom is going to be like and what his followers. Um, we see the humanitarian heart of God in Jesus. We see this mini picture of what, what his kingdom is going to be like, but we also see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, the same spirit that was in Christ, the same one that raised him from the dead, if that same spirit is in you, he will also raise your mortal bodies. Um, it's a quote in the Desire of Ages. I can't remember where exactly it is. It says, um, the life of Christ in you will produce the same fruit as in him. Living in Christ, adhering to Christ, being supported by Christ, drawing nourishment from Christ. You will bear fruit after the similitude of Christ. It's the same spirit that was in him. Is the same spirit is to be in us. And the same works that he did, because he was depending completely on God, we will do the same things because we're, we're devoting, giving our lives, surrendering our lives to him each and every day. <clears throat> These works, this list, bigger picture of the Sabbath. Let's consider this. 
this list that Paul is saying in, in chapter, sorry, chap, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, this carnal list of our carnal works, carnal desires, is that something we cease from only on Sabbath? No, that Sabbath, that resting in Christ, that ceasing, that goes on every single day, right? But it doesn't mean the Sabbath is every single day. It doesn't change what day the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is to show us it's a small mini picture, okay? Like many, I've heard this even not that long ago from some, one, of our, one of our own church members here. He talked about how when he first came into the church, he would listen to, you know, he was listening to his normal secular music. But he said, on Sabbath, I wouldn't do it. And then he said, after a while, I was like, but wait, if I'm not doing it on Sabbath, then I probably shouldn't be doing it any other day of the week either. If it's a holy day and, and God wants to live in me, and, 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 he, and it's a perfect example of the sanctifying influence of the Sabbath in our lives, okay? Ceasing from our carnal works every day and resting in him. But the Sabbath did that for him. Going on down to verse 24, Galatians 5, he says, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is this becoming conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's something very much that the Jewish nation had problems with in the time uh, they, they very much became conceited. They very much were looking down on the nations around them. They didn't want the Gentiles uh, participating in their services. It was very, they became conceited about who they were as God's chosen people. Rather than sharing, they became, uh, they were looking down on other people. I've got to go through the next point quickly, the next part quickly. It's illustrating the same thing. Isaiah 58 Okay, Isaiah 58 is showing us, God is showing us his heart. God is showing us the, the, the spirit of the law. God is showing us that it's not only just doing the right things that he's looking for. He's looking for his heart being manifested in his people. So Isaiah 58, well, this will be our closing text together. Turn there with me. Isaiah 58. I'm going to do some highlights. The Sabbath. Our rest in Him. Working, ceasing from our own carnal works. Working the works of God. Not just one day, but the Sabbath is a day of reflection for us. As we come to the seventh-day Sabbath, as we cease from our physical labor, it's a day of spiritual revival in which we are connecting to God and saying, how did I work the works of God this last week? How is my relationship with God? It is set as a perpetual reminder that we came, that a creator made us for, for an intended purpose, we all have a God-given divine purpose. If you're living and breathing, God has a purpose for your life. 
Isaiah 58. Um, maybe if somebody wouldn't mind reading for us, Isaiah 58, 1 through 5. Do I have any readers? Isaiah 58, 1 through 5. Sister Dagny was so close with that hand right there. (laughs) Thank you, Sister Donna. Cry aloud, spare not, lift thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high." Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Thank you so much for reading that. So he's saying you're doing all these religious things. You're fasting, you're, you're coming to me, you're trying to fulfill the letter of the law. But he says, he says, you're doing all these things, but in your day of your fast, the day that you're supposed to be ceasing from what, whatever your normal labors are, whatever your normal stuff is, he says, you're still exploiting all your workers. He's saying, you're still doing all of your same pleasures. You're not ceasing from your works. You're still doing all these carnal things. You're taking advantage of other people. He said, is, is this a fast that I have chosen a day just for you to afflict your soul, to bow down your head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? You're doing the things that, quote, you think are going to draw you closer to heaven. He says, but look nothing about you, nothing about what you're doing shows any sort of a relationship with me. Nothing about what you're doing shows any sort of, of desire to help, desire to, to, uh, to we'll, we'll just continue on. God unpacks the whole thing. He goes on in verse 6, he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you should break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? The, who, people who have a relationship with God, the commandments obviously just come into play. Those who have faith in Jesus, the automatic result of somebody who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is the keeping of the commandments. That's what we read in Ezekiel 36. We didn't read it today, but we've read it many times before. I've quoted it many times before. He says, this is what someone who has a relationship with me, who is ceasing from their works, they're working the works of God. They're loosing the bonds of wickedness. They're undoing heavy burdens. They're letting the oppressed go free, breaking the yoke. They're sharing their bread with the hungry. Isn't that what Jesus did? He, he fed thousands of people loaves and fishes when he was here on this earth. He was very humanitarian. He says, 
that you bring the poor into who are cast out. When you see the naked, that you cover him. And you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Then, he says in verse 8, your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall come forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the, the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, why does he say, then your righteousness will break forth? Because it's not yours. It's not you doing the works. It's just you responding to the Spirit of God in your life. And so it's God living in us and through us, and he's causing us to do these things. And wherever God is, you'll be blessed. Wherever God is, he's saying, then your healing will come forth. Then you'll cry out, and I will answer to you. He said, because you're yielding to who I, who I am, you're yielding to my spirit, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Continuing on, taking away the yoke from the midst, the pointing of the finger. The, the, the accuser of the brethren is the one who stands to accuse us. We don't need to point our fingers and accuse one another. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light dawn as in darkness, in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you. That means the Lord is guiding you continually. So the Bible says he will guide you, but the fact that you're doing these things is because you're being led by God. That's why you're doing those things. Because those are God's, we are selfish God is very selfless. All these things that he's listing are selfless things to do. And that's what Jesus showed us in his life. He says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul and drought and strengthen your bones. And you'll be like a watered garden because God's presence is in your life. And he makes everything better. All the blessings, we'll go through this in another sermon. All the blessings that God promised Israel, the contrast between the blessings and the curses, the blessing was through obedience, and obedience automatically meant that God was living in them and through them. And so wherever God is, you're going to be blessed in your life. Whatever you put your hand to is going to be blessed because he is there. And even when things, when you are being attacked by Satan, and you know that Jesus said the storms of life will come, he said, but the one who has me as your foundation, he says that house will not be moved. It doesn't matter what happens because you're walking with him. Let's continue on. He said, you'll build up the old way places. Then he comes on. He goes into 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, he is bringing this in himself. This is God. From doing your pleasure. Okay, so our pleasure, equate that with the works of your flesh. Or go back to what he was saying, these carnal works that he was talking about earlier in the chapter. From doing your pleasure. Like, I, it brings me pleasure to go for a walk with friends or family on Sabbath. That is not a sinful thing to do. But he's talking about the ceasing from the works of your flesh, your pleasure, the things that are contrary to me. So the sinful things that he doesn't want us to do. If you, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and you shall honor him not going your own ways, not doing your own thing, finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Word, carnal works of the flesh. Then you'll delight yourself in the Lord. 
Isaiah 58 is very much pointing out the difference in the separation that God wants us to have in our lives. He's contrasting the works of our flesh and his works. He's admonishing us to cease from those works of the flesh, to rest in him, that his life might be able to be lived in us and through us, that he could cause us to do what he wants us to do so that we could actually reflect him in our lives. It's about him. If you turn away your foot, meaning don't, he's asking us not to step on it and treat it as an unholy thing. It's a holy thing. So he's saying don't step on it as just any old random thing. One of my commentaries on this chapter said this, said it this way. It said, without care for the needy, true Sabbath keeping does not exist. The chapter is revealing the intent of the law. Separating right from wrong is the function of the law. But we're very much seeing the heart of God and his desire for humanity. And he wants us to cease from our selfish carnal works so that he, we're resting in him. Paul says it's no longer us living. He says, in another place, he says, you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're ceasing from our carnal works and working the works of God. God is showing us his humanitarian desire in Isaiah 58 right alongside the Sabbath because they go together. He values solidarity and sharing one's goods with the poor and the foreigner. He's saying you're doing all the right things according to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law is missing. When we cease from the works of our flesh and we walk with harm, in harmony with the spirit of God in our lives, he says, then, then your light shall rise in darkness. Then you will show forth works of righteousness because they're his works. When we have those opportunities in our lives where the Holy Spirit is convicting us to do something, just respond. Respond to what God is asking you to do. Waking up every day saying, Lord, I am giving you my life today. Please use it to do something for your glory. Do use it to do something for your kingdom. Please, I want to reflect your character. I want to reflect who you are in my life today. I want, I want people to be able to, I want to be able to point people to a God that when they see our good works, we can point them to God who is doing the work in us and through us. God was showing us who he is in Jesus, and we will be doing the same things as his people because of our relationship with him, because it's the same spirit. When we do what God asks us to do, we're resting in him. We're experiencing his peace in our lives. We're not trying to do our own thing. We're not trying to do it our own way. We are experiencing God's peace. I believe that's part of a small picture of the, the, the rest that is to come. The peace that we experience in, from the Holy Spirit today is just a small picture of the rest, the final rest that is to come when we experience 
God's nothing but joy and peace and bliss in his kingdom that is still coming. So one of the functions of the Sabbath is teaching us about holy living, that we cease from our works. And when we cease from these works of the flesh, this is is us resting in Jesus and experiencing his peace in our lives. It does not take away from the day. The day stands as a perpetual reminder that we have a creator. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. What are the attributes of my creator? I want to cease from my own works and reflect my creator throughout every other day of the week as well. But the Sabbath is a perpetual reminder to show us, to, to, to remind us where we came from and that we're depending on him for our righteousness and we're depending on him to do his work in us and through us. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the peace that comes from resting in Jesus today. Is that your desire? You want to experience God's rest in your life, his peace in your life? I want my life to reflect his actions of love, his actions of mercy, his works in my life and in my community. Is that your desire today? Amen. Let's pray together. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for the rest that you offer to us. Thank you so much for the blessing of your presence in our lives. Help us to be responsive to the prompting of your spirit in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, help us as we read the Bible and we see ourselves, we see our carnal nature, Lord, help us to repent, to turn away, to cease from those works of the flesh. Help us to crucify those passions and its lust. Please work in us and through us and help us to be more like you. Help us to reflect your character. Help us to find true rest that only exists in you. Thank you so much for setting up a perpetual reminder. And Lord, thank you so much for sharing the greater, the, the other layers of what that means. Lord, we want to rest in you. We want to experience your peace in our lives. And so I just pray, dear God, for you to move in a mighty way, that you would help us to be more like you, that you would help us to be a reflection of your people and what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to be responsive. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.